Hello and welcome to The Beautiful Game, a series exploring personal improvement and resiliency through interviews with soccer coaches from around the world. Beautiful Game is brought to you by Weasels FC, a brand for the tenacious, quick-witted, and occasionally underestimated. I am your host, Tony Niccolo. Join me as we learn to live, work, and play better with more confidence, resilience, and success. So I'm here with Willie McNabb from Celtic FC, and uh, I just want to give you a little context because I know that presenting to the audience that's going to be there is something that you care about and that you take pride in in knowing. And so Beautiful Game is uh, is a podcast that's not just for other soccer coaches or soccer players. It's for business people and entrepreneurs and moms and dads and people who want to play, live, and and work better in their everyday life. So just wanted to give you that context to understand who the audience is. So you, I guess until very recently, were the international academy manager and then also a youth coach at Celtic. But your role is is changing now. And uh, just tell me a little bit about your new role and sort of what your goals are within that role and how you will evaluate success. Yeah, it's, it's just changed um, recently, uh, just at the beginning of December, really. I'm now the, the head of children's programme at, at the academy back at Celtic. So basically in, in under full charge of the U13s all the way down to our kind of U7s programme and development centre and pre-academy programme. And I think for me it was a it was a great opportunity to go full time within to the, the academy environment. I've been very fortunate that yeah, I've kind of been doing a, a dual role at the club, managing the international program and also working within the youth academy at the U sort of thirteens to U seventeens. So this has given me something to really go and get my teeth into. It's something that I'm quite passionate about. Um, I think this role is maybe less about working on a day to day basis with a, a player or a squad. But it's actually kind of putting structures in place that's going to aid the development of these young players. But not only the players, but also the the coaches as well. We we had our first coaches clinic or coaches in service, you want to call it, on Sunday there in Glasgow just before we left, and just basically gave me an opportunity to to kind of speak to the the, the guys. But also, not only the coaches, we have a, a scouting department, a medical department, athletic development department, and how all those relationships work together about developing our young talent back at the club as well. So it's something that I'm kind of quite passionate about, really looking forward to as well. Uh, but we're just having a little chat off here there about the, the kind of travelling and things like that that comes with the, the international programme. So I've learned a lot from what I've done internationally to take now into this kind of head of children's programming and basically it's just to, to to keep the really good work that's that's went on at the club I've, I've been at Celtic now for 14 years kind of started off working within the children's program with the, the U11s and U12s so it, it kind of feels like a, a bit of full circle um, being able to see kids as young as five years old all the way up to U17s been able to see the international programme and then bringing that back in a more sort of managerial role with the children's programme. So something that I'm kind of really looking forward to helping the players develop and helping the staff develop at the same time as well. So we've both got some context now. And uh, before we we dive into the serious questions, my wife made a suggestion. She's she's usually right about these sorts of things. Beautiful Game is is sponsored by a brand called Weasels FC. What do you think of weasels? 
That's an interesting question. I've never been asked something like that before. I think I don't know if they're, they're called maybe something slightly different back home. But yeah, I must admit that this is genuine. I, I genuinely love animals in, in general. I've got a little dog back home um, called Chavo, who I post about on Twitter all the time. He's 15 years old um, just now, and I've just kind of always been brought up with, with, with animals as well. So I think um, you see a lot of the stuff that's going on in, in the world just now. You see the things that are going on in Australia and things like that as well. So so yeah, I, I think um, me personally, animal lover. So whether you're a weasel all the way up to a giraffe or anything in between, then you've, you've got my vote. Excellent. One of the the goals at Celtic with with the youth programs, the children's programs, is is to develop first team and and Champions League players with every player as as an individual project. But most players won't make it. You know, in that context of the goal being first team and Champions League players, most players will will fail, so to speak, if if that is the goal. How do you help develop the players holistically? As humans, beyond uh, the just sort of soccer, you know, football goal, um, when you know that uh, to be the case, yeah, something we speak about a lot at the club is about developing the player, developing the person at the same time, and understanding that it is difficult to to play at the very highest level within the game as a small percentage of the players that maybe achieve that. But I think it's a, it's a, a duty of care to the players that we give them the tools possible to help do that. And, and they may find uh, throughout their journey as a, a player and a person, they'll find their level wherever that may be. But we're also kind of teaching them skills that they can use in the real world as well. Uh, we, we've got a thing when our young players come into the academy, they, they shake your hand, they, they chat to you. Um, and just kind of, we're big on our values at the club of particularly integrity and respect and, and making the, the, the players understand that. It's not only what you do on the pitch, it's what you do off the pitch, what you're doing in the classroom from an educational point of view as well. We've got a big emphasis on our education programme, when our kids go to kind of U13s and above, they join an education programme where they get their, their schooling and they also get their, their football um, at the same time. And a, the, the biggest emphasis is on the education because if the education fails, then it's it's going to be really difficult in the footballing world. And you see a lot of football players, soccer players now, when they're coming out of the game, they've invested a, a little bit of time. They're maybe now coming out and being maybe agents or getting into sports development or becoming lawyers, accountants. So I think younger players now are becoming a little bit more savvy and understand that. I think you, you see the trappings of a lot of the the young players out there just now. It's all about social media, Instagram, Twitter. And it's TikTok. This, exactly. This is the new thing now as well. And it's that's what they see and what they want to do. And there's only a small percentage of the players that are going to get to that sort of level. But we need to give our players as, as, as much support as possible to do that. And so, do you measure those things as well? Like, so for every Kieran Tierney, you know, are there are there players that you've you've known since they were five? Do you keep track of of what they're doing in in life now too? Yeah, we do actually. Um, we've done a extensive bit of research recently. We've obviously got the, the nineteen players who have played in the Champions League through the academy since two thousand and one. Something like over one hundred and eighty players have appeared in Celtic's first team through the academy but now are playing elsewhere, either within Scotland or abroad. So we have a young lad called Liam Henderson, um, who was at the Celtic Academy, made his way into Celtic's first team, but he's now playing with uh, Hellas Verona, just now in Serie A. First Scotsman to play in Serie A since Graham Souness. So absolutely amazing. And again, knowing Liam since he was 10, 11 years old, and such a fabulous young man as well. Uh, Liam's younger brother Ewan 
Um, Henderson also plays within the Celtic Academy just now. He's out on loan to another Premier League club um, back in Scotland. So I think it, it, it becomes important, I, I think, when you when you track these young, young lads and, and you bump into them from time to time as well. I actually got a text from one of the players yesterday, just just as I landed in Baltimore, that unfortunately his time has come to an end at Celtic. I think he's 17 years old. Just to say, listen, thank you very much. Thanks for your support. And it's, it's a new journey for me now. He's, he's got a few things lined up at other clubs as well. So you, you see a lot of these Celtic Academy players littered throughout the Scottish football and also English football as well. So you always keep an eye out for these young lads. And again, that that's just about them. You maybe see some young players who maybe have to take that little step back before making that step going forward again. So I think it's important that you see what they're doing. I even know a lot of young lads who I coached at the very, very start who are now coaches. Actually, about a month before Christmas, uh, played a game uh, against a club. And the two coaches who were taking the opposition team used to be my players. So again, it was a it was a proud moment as well, but realisation hit that I'm actually getting old, <laughs> now that these young guys are coming through. So again, these young lads are coming up and saying, oh, it was maybe at the time when I was working with you, I loved the football side of it, but I really loved the coaching side of it as well. And that's kind of how my pathway took me down as a coach. So I think you'll find that these young players will all find their, their, their little kind of um, spots for them as they go along, whether it be in the, the, the football context or just in, in jobs in general. So what are those skills that you teach them? I mean, they, you tell them to get an education, you teach them social graces to, you know, be polite and respectful and have integrity. Um, is that it? Is that? We teach them about a lot about responsibility as well. That, that becomes really important for us. We, we speak about the players taking responsibility for their own development and taking responsibility for what they can achieve and maximising their potential as well. I think players, when something doesn't happen, it's easy for them to come back and point the finger. They'll maybe blame the coach, they'll blame their parents, they'll blame their friends. My wife's a school teacher back in Scotland and you see that happening as well where parents will come in and they'll blame the teacher first rather than actually say to the kid, well, what have you done to actually help yourself? So we put a lot of emphasis on the responsibility of the player. So if you want to get better at something, you have to organise that plan and take responsibility for it. We will help you and we will facilitate that as much as possible. But it's teaching them that, that things don't just get given to them. You, you need to work hard. You need to organise a plan. You need to execute that plan. And, and everything that you go for is, is striving for excellence. That That's what we say to, to the kids at Celtic as well. And hopefully they can take those things into their, their school life or their, their, their kind of personal life, for example, that knowing that hard work and dedication is an absolute must to, to how, if they want to get better. Absolutely. You're moving on from this role, but you know, you've been the international academy manager for a few years, working with clubs in, in North America to help them improve their programming and, and the way that they train players and, and what they can offer and teaching them a bit about the, the Celtic way and offering them resources and support. But you've also spoken about sort of pay to play in North America and the, the dangers of, of players moving around from club to club because, you know, the parents see another a team winning versus having that same long-term perspective that you, that you have at Celtic. But even within Scotland, you know, 2017 Project Brave, let's figure out how to concentrate all of the, uh, the best players at a smaller number of clubs. You know, in, in a place as geographically diverse as, as North America, that's, uh, that's obviously challenging. And um, in the business world and in education, people talk about, you know, the reason to go to a top school is because you'll then be surrounded by great people. It'll be the network that you end up with. It's not the MBA, it's the network. People talk about, uh, you know, 
when PayPal started and grew so rapidly, now we have the PayPal mafia where all of the people that were there early are now successful in sort of second and third generation ventures after after PayPal. Or the, the notion that you are the, the sum of the people that you surround yourself with. Do you think it's possible for, for players to succeed if they are not surrounded by the best? I think they can. It then goes back to what I was just talking about, about responsibility and that kind of intrinsic motivation that, that that player may have as well. And we understand that everyone develops at their own different rates as well. I think when, when you maybe look at it from an adult perspective, I think when you're in an environment that's challenging and, and you've got people round about you or who are almost effectively better than you at certain things, it, it, it pushes you on and, and, and strives. I always try to do that, that you surround yourself with people who have probably got better knowledge of things than you have, that's putting you in maybe taking out your comfort zone and making it a little bit more difficult for you, so you have to think for things. And I think then that improves you as a, as a person. So it, it's a difficult one, obviously, back at Celtic. We, we want to work with the, the best players possible to cause, because we believe that we give them the, the best environment possible to in terms of the training, the medical, the athletic development, the educational support to give them all the best possible tools to succeed. And there's a lot of clubs out there who will obviously offer the same as well. But ultimately it's then up to the parent and the player, depending on where the player is, what age they are as well. Parent plays a big role in that as well. And I think when you look at North America, slightly different to back home, when you've got this pay-to-play model, it's where's the best for your kid. And, and I keep saying this, and again, this is me as a coach, as a as a developer as such, that it's 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 the process that you want to go through. You can be at a team that, that wins trophies and wins state finals and wins state cups, but ultimately, what's your end goal? What are you trying to achieve out this? Is it the, the collegiate route? Do you want to go MLS? Do you want to go and play in Europe? And do you need to be with the team that wins trophies? Or do you need to be with the team that puts the best development programme in place? And I suppose that's then sometimes just maybe the mentality of, of that player and that family. If they want their kid to go to a club that wants to win things and win trophies, then, then fair enough. I'm always of the opinion that if I ever had a kid, um, I'd be looking at the place where they're most comfortable and they're going to develop the most as well. Do I want them to be competitive and be winners? Absolutely. I think we all want to be winners. That's 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 ingrained within Celtic as well. But I think sometimes you need to take a little step back from that and say, well, where exactly is the best place for my child at the moment? And is it moving them out and taking them to teams that are currently winning just now? I said it before in a podcast recently. I, I was like that when I was younger. Um, my mum and dad were really good. They took a step back and didn't really come to games and watch me, which I found great because there was no pressure from the side of the park. I could just go and play, um, although it wasn't very good, but I could go and play anyway. Um, and it just allowed me to go and make mistakes and find my way in that. I've got Player of the Year trophies back home. I have League Winners medals from when I was 14 and 15. And they're gathering dust in a, a box somewhere in my house. I couldn't even tell you where they are. But when I look at where I am just now in my personal development, it's been situations that have helped me along the way and people who have helped me along the way as well to get to where I want to be. It's great to, to look back on these memories as well, but I haven't looked at those medals in, in years, but I remember the people that helped me along the journey. Let's talk about those people because you, you were 16, you signed with Albion Rovers, and basically at the same time you signed, you immediately began coaching as well while you continued to play for the next several years. It's 16 years old. How did you have the, the self-awareness to recognize that coaching was your more likely path? It's funny. Um, 
I, I was still at high school at the time and, and went through my very first early early touches course they call it in Scotland and I just loved it. I don't I don't know what it was. There was something about the whole organisation of it, how you can speak to people, and and I I just thought that this this could be really cool working with these young players. And at that point in time, I was playing and, and then quickly realised that playing football in the lower leagues in Scotland wasn't really going to be a career for me. It would be great to play, but ultimately it wasn't going to be enough money for me to, to go and do what I wanted to do. So I quickly kind of made that decision to, to go into the coaching and I started off working with the, the five and six-year-olds at the club. I was also doing some work for the, the kind of local government with the, with the Scottish FA. So literally going into schools at that point in time, I couldn't drive. So I had a bag of footballs on my back. I was I was walking to a session. I was going on the bus. I was getting a taxi. Actually, I, I was getting paid something like £8 an hour for, for doing that. And it was costing me about £5 for my taxi. So for, for me at that point in time, we was saying, yeah, it was supplemental income. But it was more about the experience of working with these players. And then I think kind of gradually getting the chance to work with older players players are a little bit more serious about their development as well and, and, and that's where I kind of found myself being working with young players I also worked with adults as well which brought us all other challenges as well but I felt that working with the younger kids and those youth players you could really make a difference with them um, and I realised that quite quickly and, and and just started kind of going through the, the pathway then really of, of wanting to become a, a kind of young coach and it's amazing I've been coaching for 20 years now and I'm 36 next week and, and I kind of still feel fairly young in terms of the, the kind of coaching world as well and, and when I look back at all those situations that I've been in I remember the first time when a, when a parent challenged me on something I remember the first time when I faced a little bit of adversity or and, and how you deal with those situations and how now you deal with these things now and, and now you can maybe give young coaches coming to an event like the United Soccer Coaches Convention and maybe imparting some of that knowledge onto some of the younger coaches that are coming up as well and saying here's some of the things that you can look out for and here's some of the things that, that maybe will crop up times have maybe changed from 20 years ago there's, there's different things that you need to worry about but when I look back at that it was such a, an amazing grounding because at Albion Rovers there was no airs of graces I, I, I went from the bottom league in terms of playing in Scotland to the Champions League in coaching um, over a period of five or six years, and when I look back at that, it was it was it was amazing. So my philosophy, my style didn't change, but you were maybe working with a different type of player, you in a different environment. So at Albion Rovers, we we didn't have our own training facility, so you basically had to play up in a public park and lifting dogs dirt off the the pitch and broken bottles and stuff, and and then you fast forward kind of twenty years and you're you're working at these wonderful facilities and coming to things, but that gives you the grounding Anthony of of recognising and, and, and taking responsibility um, as a young coach at that point in time and understanding that you can never forget where you've kind of come from I don't want to sound philosophical here or anything but it's so so important so you know one of the things uh, you've worked with U5s to the reserve team and adult teams you know as a coach I don't run onto the field if a kid goes down I don't immediately run on and you see it in North America that coaches run on their parents run on see if little Johnny's okay because he got kicked you know last year we uh, we went to Legia Warsaw in Poland and my boys trained there and kids get kicked they cry they stand up they wipe their tears and they play and you know as, as a parent we've always we try and and if our kids are not actually you know in a life-threatening situation or severely injured, you know, try and let them pick themselves up, dust themselves off and, and continue. Um, what do you see between, you know, players who sort of maintain that 
sort of resilience that children have versus players and and people in general adults who sort of get jaded and and don't have that the, those mental skills that resiliency anymore what's the is there a difference that you see between those those types of, of players along their development path? Yeah, I like the word to use, resilience. I'm speaking a lot about being robust this season to the players. Uh, my, my friend's a sports scientist and we were speaking about how you can athletically develop players to be more robust, but also from if they go for a challenge and they maybe take a kick, just being robust and be able to, to bounce back from, from that as well. And I think it's maybe a generational thing as well. You see a lot of people now that as soon as a barrier's put in place, it's either you stop trying or you make a big thing of it because we try to say to our players, you will get barriers in life, you will get barriers in football. It's how you overcome those barriers. I think people are just too easy now to say, oh, that barrier's in my way, that that shouldn't be there, you should allow me to go and do that. You have to work for it, you have to earn it. And I think when it comes down to young players as well, I'm the very same in terms of coaching. Uh, You should come and see some of our young kids at Celtic. I say to them two things I would like from them. There's one enthusiasm and two competitiveness. Create a competitive environment. And honestly, we, we played a little game the other night and the competitive levels in it were unbelievable. We picked two teams. I took a team, the other coach took a team. We, we wore the jerseys. It was a proper game. And you should have seen what it meant to these kids. Um, and maybe a hard tackle was going in. Other player was helping them up, helping them get on with it. And that's going, that's going to happen, but then that's about developing them as a player as well. The obstacles will happen along the way. You'll take knocks. It's like if you go to school and you you prepare for an exam and you fail the exam. You can't just moan about it and then all of a sudden you get given the degree. You have to go away and, and prepare better and, and, and maybe do a little bit more work. Same in football as well. You'll get knockbacks in football. But I think it's about the quality of opportunity. Every player will get the same opportunity. They will get the same investment into them at the same time. Other players will take it and run with it. Other players will just be, as you say, they'll be very relaxed about it as well. But I think you then look for that intrinsic motivation from the players. We can only do so much as coaches, I think. And if you keep having to light a fire under your players and motivate them, then you say, I wonder how well motivated. You look at the best players in the world, and they've all got something in common. They've got an unbelievable desire and resilience to want to be the very best. The two that pop into your head straight away is Ronaldo and Messi. The two of them, two best, were blessed to see these guys in our generation they're absolute beasts, monsters about how they develop, how they prepare, and how they're constantly striving to be the best that they can be. And we need role models. I don't think our players need criticism, they need role models and these guys to look up to and say, this guy became the best player in the world. Did it just happen for him? No, it didn't. Did he get obstacles along the way? Yes, he did. And I think you can link that back to the to the players as well. So I think resilience, great word that you use, but also robustness as well for me. I think it's important for young players. I want to dive into that a little bit more, but give you some more context. I lost my father last year. The anniversary of my mother's death is is January 29th, the, the day before your father's. And so I, I want to ask you a question in, in this context. And it's that you know, you've spoken about the Celtic way and holistic development and how the most important thing is is long-term development, not not the football itself. And, you know, it's not the end of the world if you, if you lose a game and uh, the football is, is trophyless up to, you know, U16. But in reality, even Champions League games are, if you lose it, it's not the end of the world. It's not life or death. It's, it's just a game. So what makes this game so important to you and and why have you 
dedicated your life to it. I can just remember the, the first time seeing a, a game of football and just being absolutely mesmerised by it. There was a ball at my feet and the first thing you do is kick it. And you know, I, I, Again, sounds really corny, but I used to be a paper boy when I was younger. And if I didn't have a football with me, I used to kick a bottle, um, like a plastic bottle with me. And I, I used to try and say, right, how far can I kick this bottle? And I would try and kick it round all the way and try and keep the ball up. Sometimes it would maybe go underneath a car or go down a drain or something like that and the game was over. But it, I don't know what it was. And I remember I remember going to a Celtic game and, and seeing the green and white hoops and people singing, you'll never walk alone. And it was quite emotional, even as a, a young kid. And I, I said to myself, wow, I, I want to I want to be part of this. And again, kind of growing up, kind of my brother was a, a football player as well. Again, he was a Celtic fan. My dad played football at kind of amateur level. He was a Celtic fan as well. But the rest of my other brothers and sisters and extended family were, were all Rangers fans. Um, so kind of growing up in a, in a house where you had that banter and that rivalry as well. And But then kind of being brought up, kind of brother and my dad, really into their football as well. It, it just felt like fate for me and... Even when I was younger, there was nothing else that I wanted to be. I was a very active kid. I always wanted to be outside. I was always playing. I was constantly hurting myself as well. Like I was jumping fences and climbing trees and getting kicked at football. And I would come in with another kick. I'd fall off the bike. I remember one time being on the bike with my friend and crashing the bike and knocking myself out. And eventually getting back onto the bike and going home and didn't tell my mum and dad that I got knocked out because I wanted to go and play football. So I probably should have went straight to the hospital, but I just wanted to go out and play football again. And I remember I had the cut in my face and my lip was a little way out here as well. But again, it was just something about wanting to play football, but wanting to play it all the time. I just wanted to play as soon as I got up in the morning, when I was at school, when I played for my club. And I think sometimes there's a lot of structure now of what we do. When I was kind of younger as a kid, we were out in the streets and playing and, and, and to all levels, but... I know that maybe doesn't happen as much kind of anymore, but that was what attracted me to, to football. was just was something mesmerising about watching these guys. And I remember watching the, the World Cup in USA 94. Um, and I remember watching the the game. And I remember Leonardo elbowing one of the American players at the time. And I remember Roberto Baggio putting the, the penalty over the bar. And I was only maybe about nine or ten at the time. And I remember watching that and saying, wow, I want I want to be one of these guys. I want to play in the World Cup. Um, and then just kind of falling in love with it, going watching my local team. As I said, my brother played for, for a team called Airdrie back in Scotland too, where at that time, probably in the second tier of Scottish football. Okay. And watching him and saying, I want, I want to be a football player like, like him as well. Obviously, I, I turned out to be a much better footballer than him and I'm much better looking than him as well. I have to say that in case he ends up listening case he to listens. this. So uh, yeah, I think that's what involved me and got me captured in football at a young age. Okay. I think it was somewhere around 2015. You were in Vancouver as well doing a demo. That's the I got to see Dick Bate there. And you've spoken about him as as the best presenter you've ever seen. What made him great? Just his manner. He's the only guy that I could probably see taking two players and one soccer ball and putting on an absolute clinic. There was just something about him. He had a, a bit of a presence about him. I think he commanded respect with but being very humble at the same time. And you could tell he had an unbelievable knowledge of the game. So he was a student of the game, incredibly well prepared. I remember probably the best compliment I ever had was was from Dick Bate. I was after my session in Philadelphia, I think it was in 2016, um, walking down the street. And he said to me, young man. And I said, yep. And he said, excellent session, well done. Now, it could have been the worst session in the world, but he made me feel absolutely a million dollars that day. And I just loved his style. 
the way that he, he spoke to the kids, the way that he addressed the, the coaches as well. That was something that I picked up from him. I've seen a lot of clinicians who have been very good, but have maybe ran it as a practice and been speaking to the players a lot, or and, and they maybe kind of don't acknowledge the crowd as much. But I used to like Dick Bate had a, a really good balance of speaking to the players, making sure the players understood, but also then speaking to the coaches as well. It's a shame, it, obviously he's now he's now passed away, but he was a he was always the one that you, you went to, and when you came to him at any sort of event that he was at, it was standing room only. And, and that was a testament to, to how he delivered the wealth of experience that he had as well. And when you speak to a lot of coaches now, particularly in England, who are coaching at a high level, Dick Bates probably had an influence in them at some point as well. So a guy will be kind of sorely missed. I would, I'd have loved to have got to maybe know him a little bit better over the years. I, 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 I kind of didn't know him at all. I had a chance to speak to him a couple of times, but um, just a kid of noise and you could tell that he was dedicated to, to what he was doing. You yourself are a frequent presenter with continually rave reviews from from players and and other coaches you know so i think you're on on your way somewhat of a coaching prodigy having having begun at a at a young age how do you you know you've you've spoken about the importance of of being prepared and even being prepared for things to go wrong so you you practice but assume that some things are going to go wrong so that you can be resilient and robust and and adapt but how do you evaluate yourself and what are your tips for people who, you know, want to get better? Yeah, I think evaluation is really important. We ask the players to do it so often, and it's something that I'm going to speak about and as part of my classroom session here as well. I always look back at the session and, and think to myself, the first question I ask is, did the players understand what I was looking for? And if they didn't understand, why? Now, some coaches may blame the players straight away, I would always kind of look to blame myself, if I'm being honest, um, and kind of look and say, well, why didn't these players understand this? Uh, there's got to be something that maybe I could explain things a little bit better. Um, and then evaluating the session as a whole, what what would I change? Was the area too big? Was it too small? Was the flow okay? So it's just constant questions that you're asking yourself. And as you say, I think you, you kind of hope for the best and plan for the worst um, for any event, kind of eventuality. And, and knowing that you, you, you stay calm within that as well, something does go wrong in the session and you just change that. Um, but I think just if you're you're well prepared uh, beforehand, if you're faced with adversity within your session, you can quickly adapt it. I think when I was maybe a younger coach, I used to get caught up in that a little bit. You're wanting the perfect session and the perfect session doesn't exist. You get good sessions that have a good flow to it. Um, and I always ask the players questions as well. Did you like that? What did you find? Anything you would change and, and take on as feedback from the players? Well, I think that's, that's really important. Me, it's not a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of what do you think I could do a little bit better? Did you understand that? And if you didn't, why didn't you understand? Well, I'd, I'd love to continue the discussion. I've got lots more questions for you. And, and I think that your rise in coaching and the, the work that you do developing players is phenomenal, and especially the focus on that holistic development. And so I think there are lots that people can can learn from that and some great insights there. But I know uh, you've you've got to run so maybe I'll come to Scotland and uh, ask you some more questions sometime. Oh, sounds good. Thank you very much for having me on as well. I appreciate it. Thanks, Billy. No problem. Cheers. Thank you for joining us today on The Beautiful Game. We hope you also have some new ideas and inspiration to live, work, and play better. Please subscribe to get future episodes. And you can join the conversation with your host, Tony Niccolo, on Twitter at WeaselsFC. FC.